Hello humans, welcome to The Frontline, a leadership and business podcast brought to you by Peregrine Corporate Services, an Isle of Man-based fiduciary provider. My name is Martin Hall, and thanks for listening. In this podcast, we chat to an array of business leaders from different sectors to learn more about them, their market, skill sets, and knowledge. We hope you enjoy. So today I'm joined by Tim of Slatter Communications. Thanks for joining me today, Tim. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, pleasure. Pleasure. So first of all, just to give our audience a bit of background, perhaps we can let us know kind of where you grew up, schooling, early schooling years, and sort of further education if you went into that. Where did that all begin? Cool. So I'm born and bred Cape Townian, uh, right at the tip of South Africa, and I studied public relations management in the early, kind of the late 1990s. Uh, in the early noughties, and uh, from there I moved into musical instrument retail, and I managed a, a store. I had a lot of experience around advertising, marketing, retail management, cash flows, that whole side of, of business uh, structures and business growth. And then it took quite a different turn. I was offered a, a role as a pastor in a church up in Johannesburg, and my wife and I got married, that was around 2006, 2007, and we moved up to Johannesburg. I pastored a church, I was a worship pastor, uh, slash youth pastor, slash everything else. I wore far too many hats and mm-hmm. learned a lot of lessons around that. And then uh, we had our children, we've got twins, they are now almost 11. And shortly after they were born, I, I moved into what I'm doing now, which is it's called online reputation management or shortened as ORM. And in a nutshell, as I explain it to people, it's, it's PR, but specifically in the digital space. So we look at how you are building a brand, how you're building a reputation, how you're managing client relationships, uh, internal relationships as well. And how that translates specifically into the digital sphere. So we don't look at the traditional PR of press releases and event organization, uh, fundraising and those types of of traditional PR activities. We look specifically at the digital space, which predominantly looks like your websites, blogs, newsletters, email campaigns, and social media. And that's the main area we we operate. We've been doing that since 2011. Okay. Slowly but surely, because we're, we're focused on working with small business owners, uh, SMMEs, and a couple of those happen to be financial advisors. And we started to see that there was a lot of duplication in their needs and their frustrations around traditional digital marketing. And you've got to remember, I mean, digital marketing is still fairly new to the world. It's only been around 15 to 20 years. And in that time that digital marketing has been around, we have uh, had a radical change in our communication culture. You know, 15, 16 years ago, we didn't have Facebook or Twitter yeah. uh, or LinkedIn. There was, there was MySpace, which was kind of like a personal blogging spot and a couple of personal blogs. But to, to a large extent, our digital communication was email and SMSs or maybe MMSs. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, if you just think about how far we've come, you know, if someone wants to text you, they can text you through LinkedIn, through Facebook, Messenger, through WhatsApp. Uh, through Google Hangouts and, you know, so many more platforms. And it's, it's really changed the, not only the platforms and, and the technical side of how we communicate, but also our, our communication culture, you know, just leading up to, to this 
session that we're having now, I was able to quickly text you on LinkedIn and ask you a few questions. And, and we had a, uh, a little update before this. And, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that wouldn't have happened that way. It would have happened by email, which would have slowed things down. Mm-hmm. And, and so in that insider culture, there's a different way of engaging with clients. And we started to see that that was aligning very closely with what was happening in the financial uh, planning or financial advice industry sector, that not only was communication with clients changing, but the way clients wanted to be engaged with, the questions they were wanting to ask, the support they were expecting and, and wanting to have met by their advisor was changing. Yeah. And that there was a, a big gap in communication and language and um, just the whole strategy around that. And so in 2016, we focused on doing what we've been doing for SMMEs, but specifically for financial advisors. And we created a platform called Contato, which is Italian for in touch or in contact. And it basically, in a nutshell, works on a premise of white labeling content and white labeling design solutions so that we can kickstart a financial advisor in the right directions on the platforms. And then it's followed through by, while, you know, if we relook at the way they're articulating things, we can then start to address how they're demonstrating their value to their clients. And so I see it as really two, two sides of um, the journey is, is the one is the articulation of how you're adding value and the other is the demonstration. Okay. Um, and that's where we are today. Okay. Maybe before we just dig into some of those kind of looking at maybe even sort of case studies types of scenarios, just to go back to, I suppose, setting the scene from your own development, the public relations that you set, what was involved in that type? You mentioned that as part of your education process. What was involved in that? What, what kind of skills did you learn out of that? I presume that was the foundation. So, <clears throat> yes. Yeah. So that, that was a, uh, a four-year degree. Um, so inside of a degree, typically, and it's a management degree, so it included a bit of law, um, it included communication science, uh, media studies, so a lot of journalism on that end. Uh, the obviously, PR, public relations, was a major part of, of our studying, and, and how you look at it, was, it's incredibly, it's relationship-centric. Um, And it's how do you build mutually beneficial relationships? So it's it's the creation, the building, and the maintenance of mutually beneficial relationships between an organization and their stakeholders. So it's internal stakeholders and external stakeholders. That's what PR is. So it included um, marketing as well. We did three years of marketing, three years of media. It uh, included journalism, uh, some photography and photojournalism. And so all of these aspects, uh, it included, obviously, in South Africa, we did English and Afrikaans, communicating effectively in Afrikaans, which I didn't do too well in, and I'm still not very efficient. And I'm always so impressed when I speak to Afrikaans people at how good their English is. And I wish my English, my Afrikaans was at the level of, of their English. Um, and so it was all about, you know, relationships and how we use communication to build, to acknowledge, uh, to be cognizant of the other person and their needs. So that essentially building a business that is fulfilling a need, not trying to convince clients that they should buy from you. Yeah. And, and I think that's where a lot of, you know, what, what we're seeing in the financial industry change from going, here's a product, please buy it, to well, what do we need? And what can we consider for you? And what solutions would work best for you, your legacy and your family setup? Okay. And I presume those overriding principles, you mentioned first, you went into retail, that those core, uh, irrespective of where, what you're looking at, those core principles apply, whether it's retail or, or obviously now you'll see a lot of different types of businesses that, that, that those core principles remain the same. Absolutely. You know, 
from the retail, one of the things I instituted was a, um, a new remuneration package for the staff, which was loosely based on commissions, but the store that, we, that I ran, we didn't have uh, electronic sales. Everything was handwritten in a book. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, you can imagine walking, I don't know if you're musical or anything, but if you walk into a music shop, there's strings, there's plectrums, there's instruments, there's, you know, probably 100,000 different stock items and, and keeping track of that and profits and commissions was incredibly difficult. And one of the, the frustrations we had was our staff didn't feel like they were being fairly remunerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I worked through a system of remuneration that encountered the sales guys as well as the support staff in the back rooms who were doing repairs and unpacking and various other things that we needed to keep the business uh, running. Um, and you know, bringing that now into to financial advisors, I mean, they, there's a lot of front-facing people in, in the advice industry and there's a lot of back office people in the advice industry. Um, and knowing how, you know, remuneration is not everything, but it is certainly a part of feeling valued as an employee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that transition then into being a pastor, how did that, I mean, to me, that seems as an outsider, uh, uh, just a, a, a very sharp left. Yes, yes. Same feeling for you. So, no, I, just, I felt like there's been such a lovely flow. And, right, okay. Uh, we, we've had some tough years, uh, my wife and I. It hasn't been easy, uh, but it's, it's in terms of direction, we've always, our hearts have known where we need to be going and what we need to be doing. Um, and heading into the kind of organized religious uh, sector, I like to call it the, the business of church, okay. uh, because it is a business, it's an NGO, it's got to be, you know, it's got to pay bills and employ people and provide a service that. It was always, again, it was a PR role. It was helping people and, you know, my boss at that stage, I, I viewed as God and, uh, you know, and helping people have a better relationship with him mm-hmm. um, and understand where they sit and, and where they add value and where they receive value. Um, and so from a PR perspective, it had a natural fit. From a day to day, it was radically different, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that also set me up far more to run my own business coming out of working for someone else, running their business, uh, managing their day-to-day, managing their staff, and going into the church where I had a lot more freedom with my time, a lot more freedom of how to choose what responsibilities and engagements and people I'm working with. Uh, Obviously, a church is a much larger community, and you're seeing them far more regularly than you would typically customers in a retail outlet. And, and then what I learned a lot in that area was being the worship pastor, I was very involved in the creative side. Um, and so I upskilled very fast in terms of the digital platforms just to put on a PowerPoint and presentation or the start of a service, musical, you know, doing the arrangements, recording, all that kind of um, knowledge and skill was really nurtured and grown in that environment um, to where I am now. So kind of a lot of the people in the church who had their own businesses would come to me and say, Tim, why don't you help me do a new logo? Or why don't you help me design this? We love what you did in, you know, whatever. And it looked so cool. Can't you do that for our website? And my initial response was, well, no, I have no idea how to build a website. I don't know how to do that, but I can help you. I can give you some ideas. And that slowly grew into helping small businesses become more authentic online. Okay. And so right from the start, that was a big word of importance for me was authenticity. And did that plant the seed then for starting your own business? Is that, do you think that's where those seeds start? Absolutely. 
absolutely. I realized that there was a need for people, obviously in my own community, but outside of the church, um, who are wanting to have these kinds of conversations because through a couple of the parishioners that I helped, they put me onto their friends and their colleagues and say, go chat to Tim, he'll help you. Um, and realizing that a lot of people, first and foremost, just wanted someone to sit down with them and, and let them know that they're not alone, that they're okay. And they're not the first person to have these issues in their business and be frustrated with it from that perspective with their website uh, at that very base level. Mm-hmm. Um, but that does lead into deeper conversations. And again, that is a direct replication of what we're seeing in the financial services industry, where, where you sit down to discuss income or money or earnings or wealth, and it becomes a much bigger conversation yeah, yeah. and a much deeper and more valuable engagement. And how daunting to start, start your own business. How daunting was that? I mean, see a lot of people, I guess, probably don't do it because the, the, the whatever the right word, whether you use the word scared or, or concerned about money, financial, how did you, how did mm. you family deal with that, that step? Well, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate to have a supportive family and I, I don't for one minute undervalue the role that my wife, my parents, uh, you know, now in later days, my, my kids are really supportive of it now as they're getting older and understanding it. And we unschool our kids so they're, they're around us all the time. It's a homeschooling environment. So they're very aware of when I'm talking to clients, they, they already start to understand the exchange of, of value and transactional conversations and what that looks like. Um, but right from the start, you know, my wife was behind me in what we, we needed to do. Uh, she now works in the business with me. Um, my parents were very supportive of the journey and I had a couple of really close mates who supported me in that. So I think, you know, you can't, if you do, if I was doing it on my own, I don't know what, where I'd be today. Um, you know, you sometimes think, oh, if, if I had all the time in the world and I didn't have to spend time with my family and these people and those people, I could get so much done. Um, but I find that we gain inspiration from those people and the quality Exactly. The quality of the work you're doing is far more important than the quantity of the work you're doing. Yeah. And the world tells us the more you do, the more you graft, the more side hustles you have, the better you're going to be. And, and I really struggle with that concept because, yeah. you know, I, I've had so many guys say, oh, don't you want to, you know, make money for free on the side? Wouldn't you want to have a you know, passive income and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all I want to do is just focus on what I'm doing right now. You know, yeah, this, is, yeah. this, is what, this is what's in my hand. This is what I'm, I'm good at. And I want to be really as good as I can be and keep growing. And, um, you know, and conversations always lead to new conversations. I don't need any more. Yeah. Um, and when I see people saying, you know, do more, you should have three or four side hustles and you should be grafting at this. And the guy who, you know, be the hardest worker in the room, wake up at 6 a.m., go to bed at 12 p.m. And, you know, I'm, I kind of feel like we've got to find our spaces of rest. Yeah. Um, you know, I think as, as you were sharing it earlier with me, just needing to have some me time because you're going to get sick, you're going to get worn out, you're going to get drawn out. Um, and, and I think having family, although sometimes that could feel frustrating, if, if you feel you've got to go to attend an event or be present here and you're tired, now you've got to do a dinner or this or that. Um, and for my wife and I, when we had our twins, right at the start, we said, you know, whatever we do, we want to be available to them. And so we've made specific decisions and, and starting a business for me whilst it had many challenges that, that everyone faces of, of income and liquidity and cash flow, it allowed me to be present in the afternoons when my kids were growing up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I suppose they are still growing up. They're only uh, 10 and a half now. Yeah, that's but big though, isn't it? That was a, a big, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I didn't disappear for eight, nine, 10 hours during the day and then come home in the evening. I was yeah. present and I would work late into the night, sometimes two, three in the morning. 
Um, and I've had months where I'm going out to coffee with a prospective client and I've only got about 80 bucks in my account and I'm hoping they pay for coffee because I don't know, you know, if they yeah, want yeah. a muffin as well, I don't know how I'm going to cover that. Um, and, you know, that's, you do those because yeah. I believe in, in having the freedom of time um, yeah. and showing my kids that this is what I'm committed to. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a very important balance, isn't it? So, so looking at, or going into a case study, so a client comes to you to help us dig into to, to that relationship. They're looking for some help with with the PR. Do you initially sit down with the client, look what what is their end goal? How how would you approach that, or what, what are they looking to get out of it, and then build it from there? Absolutely, yeah. So we've got kind of two approaches. We've got the what I call the off the shelf or the the white labeled approach, because a lot of advisors that we speak to are not quite there yet with their own idea of what they need. Um, they just realize, sure, this digital world is, is passing me by and I need to jump on that train as fast as possible. And they don't care what carriage they jump onto. They just, they know they need to get on if they're going to get to the next station. Um, and then a handful of guys are like, no, we, we want to travel first class. You know, we, we, we know where the train is, we're, we're up to speed with it, but it needs to be a, an experience that we choose for ourselves. Um, and so, so for the, the guys who just need to jump on fast and get the ball rolling, um, we've got the off-the-shelf solution, and, and we don't typically spend too much time um, in conversations around their business setup. Yeah. Purely, I think, because they don't have that time yet, and they're not in that headspace yet. Um, but the guys who want a custom experience, we, we sit down, uh, we do kind of an hour-and-a-half session with them, which I call a, a, an ORM strategy deck. And then we build a look and feel document for them from the start before we even get to the website um, and anything else. And uh, that helps them start to see, yes, that's exactly what I want to say. That's the, those are the pictures, those are the words, those are the fonts, those are the colors. This feels like me. It feels like my clients and they're going to engage. And that's a big part of what we ultimately want to try and create in the online experience that when your client goes and looks at it, they go, that sounds like me. That's, yeah. I'm, you know, that you're going to help me. You, um, half of your selling is already done. Yeah. Um, and then we want to then follow it up with an environment where we create blogs and those are called conversation sparkers. I was going to say that. I imagine that's one of the bigger challenges with businesses. And we find it the same where, you know, you can, you can roll out a, a new feel, a new brand, but it's that ongoing communication that you run yeah. the business day to day. You're sort of trying to grow the business, but fighting fighting to deal with clients on an ongoing basis You've got your internal governance compliance everything else that goes on that that i can't call it non-essential but non-essential in many ways just gets pushed down the queue i'd imagine that's often a, a challenge for you to to get obviously one you can provide support to to your clients but getting their buy-in that they need to dedicate at least some time to that as you described i think follow-up absolutely you know a lot of people put so much energy and thought and money into their website and a prospective client typically spends eight to 12 seconds on your website and that's it. Um, And, and that's also again, why our off the shelf options have a great appeal because you're not overcapitalizing in that space. And then our setup with the blogs is we've realized that the financial conversation of value to a client is when I sit down with my planner, when I need to ask them something, when I choose to engage, there's very little value when they phone me up and say, listen, Tim, it's been about a year since we last met. We need to just, you know, have a quick cup of coffee and, and go through everything and just make sure everything's okay. I hate those meetings. They, 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 you know, seems like a waste of time to me. 
But if I move, if, if I get a new home, if I have a new child, if I have a retrenchment, if some big transition happens in life, I want to go to my advisor now. And I'm going to pay attention to what they say. I'm going to pay attention to where I'm at in the situation and what I've got, what I don't have. And that time is far more valuable to me. So if we're able to create an environment where the advisor is present of mind, but not pushing, where the advisor is um, accessible and approachable, yeah. got in our relationship where when the client is ready, they can easily reach out because there's a new, so we've got a, a monthly newsletter that goes out and the blogs are there purely to create a conversation or an idea of what the client might want to ask you. Yeah. And so we're just raising ideas and opinions and whether the client reads the blog or not, not already a big issue. Um, and this is specifically for the financial planning industry. So for you guys, it might be, you know, when, you be, when you're a bit bigger and you are a product provider or a services provider, um, you do need to kind of have some thought leadership in what you're writing. Mm. But for most advisors, it's not about thought leadership. It's about coaching the client's behaviors. It's about being available when the clients are going to make a bad decision and they just need you as a sounding board. Yeah. You know, saying COVID's happened and uh, I'm seeing my statements are looking really pear-shaped. Let's move everything into cash. That's when your advisor needs to say, listen, I, I respect you want to do that, but perhaps we can look at it from this angle rather. Yeah. When you've got that trusted relationship and that trust is only built, that level of trust, only bought by that ongoing communication yeah okay yeah so it's um, communication through what i call a downtime if that's the probably not the greatest term but well it's, it's not a bad term absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah so so that your clients feel like you're always there even though you're not physically there you don't have to meet with them you don't have to phone them you don't have to physically text and, and that area of an advisor's business they can outsource to us and we can run for them and the client doesn't feel like it's outsourced you know yeah. if they stop and they think and they go did you really write that blog did you really send that email? They'll probably realize, no, they didn't, but they'd actually be okay with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's not the value. The value is when I call my advisor, that's when the value starts, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. And we touched on just before we came on as well, we were talking about personalities and you obviously, again, deal with many different types of personalities. And I guess you have to reflect when you're rolling out, certainly you bespoke of how that, that personality of that, those individuals are, whether they're, you know, just their focus, I guess. Is that, is that an ongoing challenge? Um, it's oh. not a challenge. It's, it's fortunately oh. something I'm actually pretty, pretty good at. Um, yeah. But it, it's definitely a focus of, of attention. Yeah. And when we're creating bespoke strategies, it's exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I spend about an hour and a half with the guys and, 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 and I ask them specifically targeted questions and I get them to talk. And, and you, you know, as, as a podcaster, you'll know, how much you can actually learn from someone if you're asking the right questions. Yeah. You don't need days and weeks with that person to start to understand where they're coming from. Um, that's the articulation. I said, remember, there's two things. There's the articulation and there's the demonstration. And, you know, I, I think my experience and my life leading up to now has, has enabled me with specific skills to help people articulate where they're at. Um, but it's got nothing to do with the demonstration. So if they're saying these things and they're not backing it up, so like I'm saying, you know, in the downtime, I'm saying when a client's hearing from the advisor, now I meet with you, I expect you to fulfill this perception that we've created. And that's what PR is all about. PR is about the perception of value. Because, I mean, value is, is, is not real. It's, it's, it's what you think it is and it's what I think it is. And those can be two different things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, Yuval Noah Harari, we mentioned him in one of our chats, who wrote... Uh, Sapiens and Homo Deus and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. 
uh, in his third book, one of his chapters is on suffering. And he says the only real thing to any of us is suffering. Everything else is an imagined reality. Everything else is a perception. Um, and we're living in a world now with Black Lives Matter, um, with COVID, with some very big, you know, white privilege, um, things that are being thrown around. And half of us don't even grasp how deeply hurtful some of these things are to some people. Yeah. Um, and, and being able to, to articulate where your heart is coming from and then demonstrate it are, are two vital elements of building a business. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when a client typically comes to the advisor for help, it's because they're suffering. That's what's real to them. They're either suffering because they've been undermined, they're suffering because they've been uh, fired or hurt and injured and they need to claim on a, a risk claim uh, or policy. That's real to them. If you talk to me about my portfolio now, it's not real to me because I don't need it. If you talk to me about retirement investing, it's not real to me now because I'm not retired. When I'm 55, 60, 65, then it's starting to become real because then I'm starting to feel the suffering. I'm realizing, oh my gosh, I haven't got enough or let's just check in or there's been a, a market crisis. And so that, that being able to identify what's real to people yeah. and then have a set of tools and skills to deliver on that. Yeah. Okay. Crucial. And when you look at then helping them with content, and I look at this as, again as a business, we're offering a product. You know, it's, it's not the reality is they're not interested in things. When you when and I'm sure financial advisors find the same if they're trying to sell pensions, they're not the most thrilling thing in the world. No offense, uh, but obviously very important. How, how do you? I mean, your advice in in making sure that content is because again, you can push out content, but it, it needs to have, try and have some value. What, Kind of how do you approach that to make make what I maybe call boring stuff less boring uh, for people? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the strategies we've employed is to, is to try and not talk about products. Okay. And, and so one of the things we say is, is we want to be conversational, not transactional. Um, we want to talk to process, not product. And, and those are kind of some of the underlying strategies we employ when we are coming up with our blog titles for the month when we are creating content for advisors on their own websites, when we're searching for images. So that, again, as I said earlier, when a, when a client looks at the blog, when they look at the website, they see themselves. Or they see the life that they want, or they identify with their goals, their dreams. You know, a lot of advisors use the words, helping you plan for your goals and your dreams. And all of that becomes a little tired after a while. So it's, it's, about, it's about being relevant. And, and that's what PR is also about, is being relevant to what's going on. In first year media studies, we learned about the zeitgeist, which is the spirit of the people. Um, and, and our challenge is, is to write relevant blogs that have evergreen value. So if I read it now, it makes complete sense with COVID. But if I read it in 12 months time, it'll still make complete sense. So we try to use words that I would identify with what's going on right now and it makes sense but it's still broad enough and generalist enough for me to use it later down the line. And in our training sessions, so we do online training modules with our advisors and we show them in the first, there's three modules. The first one is how do I use my website in a meeting with a client and how do I create an online experience where I don't waste time watching cat videos when I go to social media. And the second one is, is how do I use my email stats? So we use a platform called MailChimp to send out bulk emails, which is, a fairly global standard. I think most people use that. And the third one is, is social media and LinkedIn and how do I leverage that space to have 
better relationships uh, with my network as a whole. Yeah. Um, and so we, we try and tie all of that into being relevant. How do you use those blogs? How do you go back in your archive of your website to find other blogs? Because when you then share all the blogs and you pop it up and someone links through it, Google sees, oh, there's a deep link. And it takes you through to the site and Google's like, and it starts to push your rankings up in Google. Yeah, okay. So now we're helping your clients. We're helping you have better conversations and we're helping the SEO of your website improve through use of the blogs and the links. Yeah, okay. And then that, that, that communication, so using blogs as an example, if you, I guess for two different financial advisors, probably the message or the language is different just by the nature of their business maybe. Again, is that something you, again, I use the word challenge, but something that you're constantly looking at because one advisor's language is different from another's let alone then their demographics different, whether it be geographical or uh, yeah. range or whatever it might be. Yeah, so we, we started working with our first financial advisor in 2012. And we gave them a free site and blogs and newsletters for about, about a year, I think it was. Um, because they actually, the advisor came to me and he said, Tim, if you run a blog and a website for me and I get all 25 guys in my office to run with it, can you give me a better deal? And I was like, oh, but then you all have a site that looks the same. And I was like, yeah, but you can change a couple of colors here and we'll have my picture. And I only speak to my, you know, 150 clients and they've got their clients. It'll work. Um, and that's actually how this idea, this idea for Contato came from an advisor. And we spent about a year and, and they were a tied agent um, or a specialist agent. I don't know what you call them over there, um, but they, they were not a, an independent advisor. They could only sell one product provider's um, products. Okay. And we spent about a year, you know, getting it right, getting it wrong, getting it right, getting it wrong. And slowly, and we only really pushed this in 2016. So for about another three years, we ran with him and then a few more word of mouth guys. And I think we had about seven guys by the time we said, okay, we want to really focus on advisors now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're working with about 100, just over 100 planners at the moment individually. Um, and we've got about three or four franchises. And inside of that, pretty much everyone's on the white label content, but we have got a handful of guys who have custom content. Okay. And then... In, in those instances, we speak to the values, we speak to the language of that specific company. Yeah, right. Um, we go through their site. If we haven't built their site, we go through what their marketing team has put together. We, we have a good understanding of the images. Because from, from images, you can immediately see, are they more abstract or are they more personable? Yeah. And I always push them to try and, and shift that. If, they're, if I'm seeing too many pens signing papers, too many buildings, too many mountains, um, I say, guys, you know, or the bull at the stock exchange and the bear at the stock exchange, I say it's, it's not quite hitting your clients, um, but you can kind of see, uh, is it more white collar? Is it more relaxed? Yeah. Is, it, is it in a certain color frame? You know, you've got all your blues and your grays, or is it very vivacious in full color? Um, is your language quite technical or is it quite accessible? And again, we try and move them away from technical language. So when you start to remove um, the technicalities, you have a broader audience and a higher engagement. Okay. When you remove the products, you also, because we've got some guys who only work in asset management. They don't do medical risk. They don't do business risk. They don't do those types of products. Um, we've got some guys who are tied and they, they might include, you know, credit card packages and loans and mortgages and things like that. And so if you're speaking to short-term environment, uh, a short-term article, which we do sometimes, we write it in context of if I didn't sell short-term and this wasn't something I would advise a client on, 
does it still feel like I'm helping my clients? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we always put ourselves in the shoes of our, you know, am I a male or a female advisor? Am I in my 30s? Am I in my 60s? Um, what culture do I come from? What language do I speak? Yeah. And so we, we worked with guys in Australia, in Canada, in Italy, Namibia, um, Scotland, the UK. And the little tweaks here and there that we, we make, yeah. but fundamentally the message comes back to how am I building authentic relationships? You know, when, when we're born, we, we want two things. We want attachment and we want authenticity. And that's what we're trying to help guys build inside of their communication strategies. Right. Okay. And when, when you, it's interesting that when you, when you look at like the, the million dollar question, I guess, for most businesses built, building a network, obviously what you do from that digital space, do you always remind, or is it a part of the process of always reminding those business owners that this is one piece of a number of pieces of the jigsaw to build that network? Absolutely. So, so all the strategies, so we kind of look at three key areas inside of an online brand. We look at your website, um, we look at your email campaigns and your blogging and the consistency. So the cornerstone, the consistency, and then your connections, um, which is your networks, which is social media. And then all three overlap to form a cohesive online brand. Um, and so, you know, we'll have some guys saying, oh, not all my emails are going through or I'm not getting high engagement. I'll say, but that's not your only point of engagement. Your online brand, I also say to advisors, is not there to replace you. It's there to reinforce you. Okay, yeah. um, and so people aren't picking up on the emails. Hopefully they're picking up perhaps in the social media space. Um, if they're not picking up in those places, they're Googling you, they're maybe talking to you face to face. Because remember, we still have conversations like this, even if it's over video. Um, that it's, it's not to build an autonomous business because this is, this is not what the financial industry looks like. It's not about robo-advice. It's not all about automation and, and autonomous engagement. It's about speaking to another person who gets me. Speaking to another person, that's, I've always said from the start, I said, the planner is the brand, not the company that they represent. Because a company can have 600 agents and only one of them will work for you. Why is it? Because it's got nothing to do with the product. It's got to do with the person you're engaging with. Yeah. Does this person encourage me? Do I leave feeling motivated? Um, and so... Do you do elements of training around that, of trying to, trying to help people improve in that area? We don't at the moment. Um, Really, because no one's really asked us that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, building a network, um, it's a skill you have to develop, and it's yes. also a journey. So a lot of guys say you've got to find your ideal clients. And I think for a, a financial advisor starting out, that's impossible because you don't really know who your ideal client is yet. Um, and you can start to say, well, someone who looks like you, someone who feels like you. And then I think a lot of advisors are struck by this, wow, I don't know who I am. You know, which is where the Enneagram we chatted about earlier starts to come in. And, and you know, following people like Brené Brown and Gabor Maté um, and starting to understand, you know, where do my addictions come from? Where do my attachments come from? What makes me who I am? What, what gets me excited and motivated? You know, that helps you start to identify your ideal client. But initially for small businesses, and this is what I did as well, is you just connect as many people as you can. And kind of people say, oh, you need to help there, you need to help there. You know, we started working with all the SMEs. We worked with churches, we worked with a chocolatier, we had estate agents, uh, we had construction guys. Um, we had such a diverse uh, client grouping and guys in the motor industry all over the show. Um, slowly then starting to see we really have a great affinity with this type of client and I want to start working more with these people. 
Um, And so it was about four years before I started to niche. And it's been another four years before that niche is really starting to flourish. Um, And where I'm starting to feel like I know enough to confidently say to people, don't do that. You do need to do this. If you're experiencing an issue there, it's because you've done that. Let's go there. You know, a lot of it has been, I don't know why that's happening. Let's explore it. Ah, because of the next guy. I don't know why it's happening. The same link. Okay. Found the same link. Okay, cool. Fourth yeah. person. It's probably because you haven't done this yet. Let's look at that. And then we redo that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your network. So for me, it started off connecting to as many people as I can, just slowly refining as I understood myself and what I was good at mm-hmm. and which clients I could really add value to to knowing that my ideal advisor is not a financial advisor who's frustrated with the way they're communicating online, wants to do it more efficiently, wants to do it more professionally to add value to their clients, not to sell. Okay. We, we're not in the business of helping people sell. We help, we're in the business of helping people communicate authentically. Yeah, okay. And then you mentioned a few names there in regard to kind of self-development. Where, where do you look for, for kind of, I suppose you use the word inspiration and development for yourself? So I think or the right most, at the top anyway. of the list, yeah. Top of the list is my wife. <laughs> she, uh, I think she's so savvy and so switched on in this area. And she's challenged me to do a lot of personal growth. Um, but, you know, we, we look at, so um, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, who I mentioned earlier, yeah. who's a historian and has written several books around the history of mankind and where we're going and what we're engaging with right now and, and the systems and the structures that are going to be challenged in the new way of, of living and doing things. And I think COVID has brought a lot of that to the fore. Um, the global lockdown, shutdown has made people realize that the systems are not infallible um, and that there are different ways to do things. Um, we, we also follow a movement of unschooling. Um, and there's, you know, my wife follows people there and I just listen to what she's saying and follow some of the stuff she shares with me. So I don't know key people there. But unschooling is really a journey of of allowing our children to grow and educate and learn by self-directed education. Um, And so that's been a big part of our our growth. Um, And as you go down that road, you realize that emotional intelligence trumps academic intelligence. Um, And there's a beautiful quote. I think it's um, Hippocrates, Hippocrates, at least pronounce his name. Um, Could be Aristotle said, uh, you cannot educate the mind without educating the heart. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, and, and that really has resonated with us. So, so then we've gone on the journey of the Enneagram that I, I shared with you a little earlier. I think we mentioned it. Yep. Um, and the Enneagram is, is just a great typology of, of understanding who you are and your personality type. Um, there's another guy called Gabor Mate who looks at the psychology of woundedness and our attachments and our addictions He's done quite a bit um, of, of work alongside Russell Brand um, and, and kind of that mind space. Uh, Brené Brown is also a great person to, to listen to. Um, so it's, it's people who are, are being brave enough to ask questions that we haven't asked because we feel we need to be so switched on that we know it and we've got it all together. Or because it's been perceived as a weakness to ask that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. A lot more books for me to go and buy. Uh, and I guess for the future of your business, again, just continues. You, you mentioned there that certainly the kind of two sets of four years where you've been transitioning now, you're kind of very focused. I assume it's just continued to develop that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and starting to understand how my roles are changing and what people are, are needing from me. Yeah. You know, seven, eight years ago, six years ago, it was very technical. I was really involved in the day-to-day of my business. I was the only employee initially uh, before our team grew. Uh, and so, you know, my day-to-day was the ins and the outs of, of running the day-to-day business um, to moving into more strategic direction, first for my business and learning from that and then helping clients. So a lot of what I do in the training for social media is exactly what I did for our own business to build that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't blog as much as I used to, but I used to blog regularly, send out email campaigns regularly and... Um, I suppose I still do it regularly. It's just not as, as much as I used to. And so I, I, maybe I'm harder on myself than I should be. But, but everything that I've helped my clients do is stuff that I've tried and tested myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I recognize that a financial advisor, typically, especially the independent guys, are also business owners. Um, they're also needing to grow in terms of communication, in terms of leadership, uh, you know, management and incorporating their teams and networking. Building, building an empire, building a legacy, building a story um, yeah. that is that they can go to bed at night and think, I'm, I'm happy with what I did today. Yeah. I think too many people are stuck living other people's stories or what's been expected of them. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's a bit of the growth that, that I've been on and, and the journey I've been on with my wife, you know, having twins, living away from, from family, um, having several people in our family diagnosed with cancer, pass away from cancer, um, you know, having a miscarriage, um, moving home, starting our own business, going through some traumatic events ourselves, and knowing that those events don't define us, but we define how we respond to yeah. those events. No, very true. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's crucial, absolutely. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll add in a footnote to the podcast some of the links to some of the books and, and references you make there. Also, if you don't mind, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way? And I'll, you mention it now and I'll add it to the footnotes as well. Is that via LinkedIn, I guess, as a start point? Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is, is a great networking space that's working for me at the moment and, yeah. and gives anyone access to, to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn's a perfect place and you can put my, uh, my handle there. Yeah. Uh, the website, they can go do that. I find... Generally, people, even they'll go to my website and then they'll message me through LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, they go, we, we checked out your website. Please tell us more about what you do. Yeah, and then yeah. I, I think, well, it's all on the website. Yeah. <laughs> what I still need to tell you. Um, but that's telling of what people want. They, they want a conversation. Yeah, they do. They yeah, want someone to, just to talk to and, and re, reassure them that this is the right decision for them on their next step in the journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time. It's been a really fascinating chat. Uh, I'm sure we awesome. can chat a lot longer, but appreciate your time, sir. Precious. So thanks for joining us today, Tim. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye.